0: Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft.
1: I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us. A journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived.
0: So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Tyler did you know that I one time fought a bear with my bare hands
1: there's no other way to fight a bear
0: yeah with my bare hands I destroyed it and then I got in a jet and flied people on down to Peru and uh that was that was an exciting time but then of course I broke my leg and had to I had to steer the a ship all by myself <gasps> with a broken leg wow um, yeah, like and that that's why was so I live. Yeah, I know, right? And and then I went and um, I I helped charity, where I um, you know, I gave away both of my kidneys and my heart, and uh, really, I I tapped into something you know that allowed me to be just a better person in general, you know.
1: Was that the clearing of your past trauma and experiences?
0: Um, Yeah, actually. Yeah. And and in so doing, I've become clear. I've become a clear. I'm um, I'm totally and completely free of any wants or needs, um, except maybe a third or fourth wife. And uh, (laughs) who doesn't need one? (laughs) And of course, to abandon my children, to go have sex magic with random people at a house for with a guy who's going to blow himself up.
1: Wow, there were so many spoilers in there, but I think I finally figured out who you are.
0: Yeah, well, this is the real me, Hannah. Um, I am an international spy of most extraordinary uh, abilities, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad the truth is finally coming out that uh, that this is this is who I am. And, and you don't need to look this up at all. Do I, not uh,
1: ask any questions.
0: Don't ask. Don't, if you ask questions, I'm going to get pissed. All right, because. <laughs> That's not fair. Uh, don't even raise your eyebrow at, at me telling my story. And, um, and I wrote movies. I wrote the, ter- the Transformer movies. Yep. Why didn't that I see your
1: name in the credits? Uh,
0: don't ask questions, Hannah. Oh, oh all sorry, right? sorry. Because... I broke
1: rule number one.
0: Yeah. Number one rule. Don't ask questions. I did it. And there you go. That's all you need to know.
1: So I think all the listener needs to know <coughs> is that you are impersonating L. Ron Hubbard. You have not actually lost your goddamn <laughs> mind.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, I am doing my best. I mean, it, basically, the dude walked around just spitting out lies. All the
1: and everyone time. Everyone just believed
0: him. It's like, why can't I do that? I should be able to do that.
1: So for people who aren't uh, huge nerds like us, who is L. Ron Hubbard other than the most published author of all time?
0: I thought that Isaac Asimov was most published. What are you talking about?
1: So I heard on this one that, he, uh, you know, in terms of volume of, of works and translations, L. Ron Hubbard has the Guinness World Record.
0: See, I got into it with my older brother actually a couple days ago. So if he's, li- Randy, if you're listening to this, I apologize. I was wrong. Actually, I wasn't wrong. I'm right. I'm always <laughs> right. Don't ask questions ever again. No, I I was wrong. I said that I, it wasn't Hubbard. It was uh, Isaac Asimov, because we just did the episodes on him, and he definitely wrote a lot of stories.
1: He did. I think L. Ron Hubbard wrote more like short fiction and nonfiction works. So they've got him somewhere in the realm of north of a thousand translated into seventy-one languages
0: are those his shorts that were translated or is that dianetics and scientology
1: i think some of everything
0: huh. but yeah i think probably
1: writing a religion uh helps you with your publication yeah,
0: yeah exactly like <laughs> we don't we don't give credit to jesus for writing 10 different books he wrote the bible that's it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jesus is the most published author of all time.
0: He wrote two books: the Bible and Purpose Driven Life.
1: <laughs> they were both bestsellers.
0: Oh uh, man, Christians are gonna love that joke. It's gonna be great. So
1: you've answered the question. L. Ron Hubbard is the founder of Scientology, which is a totally non-controversial religion.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Hey, listen, guys. If uh, if you got tired of me getting mad at my own religion. Um, and, like, me making fun of the things that I believe in. Just, I mean, just get ready, because <laughs> today we're talking about something that is absolutely ridiculous. Not just today. We're probably actually not even going to talk about Scientology today, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: we're, we're on track to make this a very long two-part episode.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, shall we're we just get
1: down to it?
0: Let's do it. Let's talk about L. Ron Hubbard, the, the man who lived 85 years in his first 15.
1: Oh, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, So Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, which is a great name for a cult leader, was born March 13th, 1911 in Tilden, Nebraska. Now, if you've read his journal, you may think that he was born on Friday the 13th because that's what he wrote about himself. But March 13th, 1911 was actually a Monday. So lying from birth. Way to go, (laughs) Elrond.
0: every cry was a lie
1: (laughs) (laughs) his mother leodora may waterbury had been a staunch feminist and didn't want to have kids she uh, was going to be a career woman a teacher but then she threw all of her hopes and dreams out the window when she met a handsome sailor named harry ross hubbard uh so they got married had a kid and at two years old they moved to a town uh, a townhouse in kalispell montana uh and May's weirdly codependent family followed them soon after uh and totally contributed, in my opinion, to raising uh Elron to being a spoiled brat who got his way with everything.
0: Oh, you think it's the mother's fault? I think You're it's gonna no, I think
1: it's the mom's family's fault.
0: Oh, just the whole family. The whole
1: family. Cause did you uh we both read the same biography, which is Barefaced Messiah by I can't remember the author's name. Uh, we oh, both Russell were Miller. just,
0: looking at, we both were just looking at it. <laughs>
1: Russell Miller, uh, who is a journalist and we'll probably talk about him more in the second part. Um, but yeah, so in, in that biography, he was talking a lot about how like, you know, L. Ron, he was the the oldest grandson doted on by all of the aunts and uncles. And he got away with literally everything To the point where, like, when he was three, he was pissing his mom off because he kept, like, repeating these made-up words. And she was like, that's not a real word. That's not a real word. And she was like, if you don't stop saying that, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And he said it again, and she washed his mouth out with soap. And then, like, 20 minutes later, her mom, the grandma, heard screaming from in the house. And she came in and saw that the ants had pinned down May, his mom, and were scrubbing her mouth out with soap to get back her. Insane
0: yeah insane if someone tried to to punish me for punishing my child i would lose my shit like oh man that bugs me so much (laughs) just like as a person not even like as like i'm not a parent yet so i don't know what it's like but like as a person if i have a thing that belongs to me and i'm in charge of raising it And you go behind my back, or not even behind my back, just into my mouth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Like, it would be one thing if she was actually abusive, but like, and I'm not advocating for washing people's mouths out with soap, but that's no. I feel like like
0: that. Let's talk about that for a second.
1: Oh, you do? Is that a bad one? Is that a bad one? I probably wouldn't do it to my kid if I had one, but it's not like child abuse. They're going to be fine.
0: I'm not a big fan of spanking. I got spanked as a kid. I'm not a fan of it. But soap worked, man. Like, Oh, you it's actually gross. got the soap treatment? Hell yeah. My grandma soaped my mouth all the time. Well, apparently it any, didn't work because you just said hell. Any... <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. It worked. <laughs> you think I'd say this around my grandma? Are you
1: insane? <laughs> so it's just taught you to fear saying bad words in front of your grandma.
0: Look, all we can do, we cannot institute real morality on people all we can do is make people fear us enough to not do bad things to us
1: that's very christian (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so long story short he was spoiled um his dad rejoined the navy in april of 1917 when world war one uh broke out and so he would have been like six years old then um and left the family behind in montana uh where may was working as a clerk for the state government Um, eventually, since they were facing, like, a years-long separation, May and little Ronald finally moved to the West Coast to be closer to Harry. Um, and this would kick off, like, a series of, of moves all over the place, so not going to go into huge detail about like all of the places that he lived and went to school but it was like yeah not like
0: miller (laughs) miller who went over every single place the dude lived oh
1: my god yeah Uh, i found that biography a little bit exhausting at the beginning especially because he gave me way too many details about like l ron hubbard's great grandparents
0: yeah laugh or whatever his grandpa's name was yeah
1: that's the cute nickname for lafayette is laugh
0: yeah which is worse i think I, I think that the reason why he did it was because he needed to build credit credibility with the reader to be like, look, I've done my research. Like I, I know what I'm talking about.
1: I think a nineteen hour audiobook tells me that you did your research.
0: Yeah, I guess. But I that or that or you lived it and you're Isaac Asimov and you just keep talking about yourself. <laughs>
1: Isaac Asimov earned the right to talk about himself, I think.
0: (laughs) After this, yeah, hell yeah, I love (laughs) Asimov.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, during the 1920s, the Hubbard family repeatedly relocated around the US and overseas. Uh, In 1925, he was enrolled as a freshman at Union High School in Bremerton, Washington. Uh, Next year, moved to Queen Anne High School in Seattle. And then in 1927, his dad, Harry, was sent to Guam. So, he didn't want Ronald to go because he'd heard tales of local women's uh, voracious appetites for American men and also lots of venereal disease. Lots of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably because of the voracious appetite for American men.
1: That'll do it for you. I mean, if you're
0: going to try and scare your son away from going somewhere, don't say voracious appetite for men
1: that's what you tell the dads so they don't bring their sons over with them yeah so all right i
0: see that yeah yeah,
1: so they let ronald come to visit during the summer with his mom she stayed in guam with his dad and then they sent him back to montana in the fall to keep going to school and he like lived with the grandparents and aunts up there who i'm sure kept spoiling him
0: yeah who never washed his mouth out
1: nope (laughs) um So, the only little bit of, like, writing um, background that uh, Mr. Miller touched on was that he uh, contributed to the school paper at Helena High School, uh, but he ended up getting kicked out of school for failing grades in 1928, so his parents had no choice but to let him join them in Guam uh, that summer. He spent... uh, Much of his time there writing short stories. uh, And the biographer noted. I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) Not banging Guam women. We can't
0: can't have our son come here. There's too many hot women with STDs. All right. So that's not going to happen. Mom, dad, I failed out of class. Okay, great. As a reward, you can come to this place (laughs) where there's a hot there's there's just a bunch of hot infected women everywhere
1: <laughs> hot infected women sounds like a, a category of hub and i don't like it
0: oh gross
1: <laughs> please audience do
0: not go look that up you know what go look it up if you want to i'm not gonna get mad at you you're you adults you we're want. not
1: gonna wash your eyes out with soap hot
0: infected women good lord i bet there's especially something now with like covid like Ew. yeah it's something it it exists
1: humanity is the infection
0: <laughs> rule 43
1: so uh yeah i don't i don't know if he uh got any venereal diseases while he was in guam but he did start writing some short stories uh a lot of them were like about adventures or like uh you know naval officers going to posts in different countries and stuff so he was kind of writing what he knew ish <laughs> he uh, was
0: writing his dad's fanfic
1: yes even though, uh, as we'll get to later, like he and his dad weren't close at all, so right weird that he kind of idolized him at least subconsciously in his writing. Um, so the plans for for little Elron were to have him go to the naval academy, but he failed the entrance exam. No way. Yeah, he was spending too much time writing short stories and uh and going after Guam ladies, Jakes.
0: infected women,
1: infected women. Uh, so September, 1929, they sent him to a prep school in Virginia to try to, uh, you know, ace the exam the second time around, uh, during his first semester though, he complained of eye strain and was diagnosed with myopia. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know, do you?
0: I totally know what you're talking okay. Myopia. It's, uh, the strain of the cornea in the oh, eye.
1: Okay. i trusted <laughs> you would know that because you wear glasses.
0: Wow, that's all it takes, huh?
1: Yep. You know everything <laughs> about eye issues. So I'm uh, not going to
0: lie. Uh, you... I totally lied. I had no idea what it was talking about. Like, at all. Well, I'm not hovering. I can't get away with it.
1: It's an eye thing. And if you got it, uh, you can't go to Naval Academy, apparently. So he didn't have to worry that's about That's all it takes? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's the thing that you always use to get out of the draft?
0: Uh, flat foot.
1: Flat foot. It's like the flat foot of the eye.
0: Of the eye? <laughs> I got that that i flat foot
1: (laughs) (laughs) so uh little elron who's now a teenager so i need to stop calling him little
0: um little elron
1: little (laughs) elron he didn't have to worry about that uh pesky naval entrance exam anymore so he went to woodward school for boys in washington dc instead to try to like pre-qualify for admission to george washington university he graduated uh, from that high school in June 1930 and entered GWU in uh, the following fall. He started out studying civil engineering, but he sucked at school. He, uh, failed again. A bunch- again. <laughs> he failed a bunch of classes, including atomic physics, and was placed on probation. And part of the reason he was doing so shady in school was because he spent all his time gliding
0: Oh right The gliding
1: Yeah he founded The glider club At uh, George Washington University And I didn't I like sort of had A mental image In my head Of what this was But I looked it up And that's like Where you hang From like Basically a big kite You get like Launched off of a plane Or a high cliff Or something And you glide down Hang gliding Yeah I'd never heard it called Just like gliding So I was like What the hell is gliding
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I just kind of assumed it was that, but there's also like gliders, right? like there's like planes that are like gliders with no engine,
1: yeah, right that's yeah, so, so that can be what it is too. So I'm not sure like what specific contraption they were using, but it seems kind of dangerous uh, I, it
0: seems it from what from the way they described it in the book, it seemed like it was more like. The, the plane situation like he liked to get in and do the gliding it, it wasn't like and he was working towards his pilot license for so long i doubt that you can be like i love to hang glide now let me go get my pilot's license and that transfers <laughs> those two things seem like they're yeah they're both in the air. But that's like saying that scuba diving is the same as driving a sea around or something, right? Yeah, like-
1: and he did get his pilot's license at one point, but then it, like, lapsed because I guess you have to have <sighs> a certain number of hours, and he couldn't afford to rent the plane or whatever to log his hours. So yeah. his gliding and piloting dreams did not last super long. Um, But yeah, so also while he was um, supposed to be you know, doing the university thing, he organized a trip to the Caribbean in 1932. And he pitched
0: So, real, a- real quick, real quick, I just want to kind of... I, I want to touch on the fact that, um, you know, sometimes we, we gloss over the years that these people were, were alive and active, right? So, 1932, we're, we're talking about 19 the late 1920s. Um, so, this is a time period when Isaac Asimov was still working at his parents' uh shop right asimov wasn't he was still in high school right during the 30s
1: oh you're gonna pin some hard dates on me
0: um we can move past that but like this is this right now late 20s early 30s this is peak lovecraft work this is where like lovecraft is getting all of his stuff out into weird magazines cthulhu's coming out um he doesn't live much longer than this uh c.s lewis he has started writing the Narnias. Uh, I think he started the first Narnia around this time or maybe it was like in the 40s.
1: And to confirm, yes, Isaac Asimov was like 10 years old at this time so still working yeah. in the in the candy shop.
0: Yeah, and so like just just um uh Hemingway. Hemingway is He's going around telling he's wearing his speckled suit, making people think that he's, you know, a war hero. And he's going around and giving speeches right now. He's he's off probably in Paris at about this time, um, writing stories that bore the fuck out of most people. But, you know, they pretend like it's good. Um, Like, it's just just so hot, hot
1: take. (laughs) It's been a hot take
0: since we did Hemingway. I'm not a fan of his or his writing. Get at me in the comments. Um, but the point being like, this is, this is the time period. A, a lot of the authors that we cover on our show, I've just been noticing that are very much mid-century authors. Um, and so it's interesting to watch these lives weave in and out, especially with having just done Isaac Asimov and Alistair Crowley, you know, Crowley at this time, this is when he's like, he's like climbing mountains right now and doing his thing. Um, and adventuring out into the world and figuring out that his wife is a prophet of um
1: Egyptian gods Egyptian
0: gods. yeah so like that's that's in the cinematic universe of between Lewis and Lovecraft that's kind of what's happening around all this.
1: I like that we have a cinematic universe now and it's literally just history. yeah.
0: When people decide to start doing these biographies and they're all connected we're going to get royalties hannah because i just called it our cinematic
1: oh i like that yeah Yeah. all right so uh yeah some of those names that you dropped we are definitely going to get to more later uh which is the thing i've been noticing particularly with the sci-fi writers is that they're all connected
0: yeah it's a small community at this point
1: it is small circle um, so back to 1932, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was like, you know what? I want to go to the Caribbean and I need other people to pay for it. So I'm going to call it an exploratory mission. I'm going to say that I'm going to collect samples of flora and fauna from museums and scout some movie locations and stuff like that. Somehow he got people to give him a ship and a captain and a crew, uh, and they set sail. It was a trip plagued with disaster. Uh, Their drinking water leaked out several times, which, how do you let that happen more than once?
0: I don't know, because you're L. Ron Hubbard, and you failed out of three (laughs) out of your four classes.
1: That's probably how. So, yeah, there was that, which is bound to make people grouchy. Uh, He also butted heads with the captain continually, which, it seemed like the captain was kind of a dumbass. Uh, (laughs) you know what
0: hold on hold on i stole your word
1: i'm not sorry no
0: it's not even that you stole my word i love that you stole my word but you're not the only person who has been using this around me i love this so much i love (laughs) that people have started i use it so often that people have started using dumbest as a real thing like you could call people dumbest and it's okay, you big dumbest. Well, oh, I love it. The problem
1: is I'm going to say it in front of other people who don't know the context and they're going to be like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you censoring yourself?
0: Uh, because it's hilarious. It is. Dumbest. That's the next shirt I need to make for real. Don't be a dumbest.
1: Don't be a dumbest like the captain. Uh, so <laughs> The they,
0: captain was not a dumbest.
1: I mean, I think they were both to blame for some of their issues. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like,
0: I think he was just fed up.
1: I mean, bullshit. yeah, at the end, he was fed up with it. Uh, they kept losing crew at every port they stopped at because they were sick and tired and dehydrated. And yeah. eventually the captain like wrote back to the ship's owner and was like, hey, this Hubbard guy, he's running out of money. Uh, and the ship's owner was like, y'all got to come back. So they yeah. went back to Baltimore. Uh, Hubbard, Didn't go back to school, though. He was like, I'm done with this. Uh, His dad volunteered him for a Red Cross relief effort in the fall. So he went to Puerto Rico, which, like.
0: Not for fun. Not to go fuck infected hot ladies.
1: No. To go do work. To do relief work.
0: you son. Look. All expenses paid trip to Puerto Rico for work. Okay? Not for fun.
1: Yeah, so at this point, I don't think it's just the grandparents and the aunts and uncles' fault. His parents are totally spoiling <laughs> <Yeah>. him, too.
0: <laughs> it's bullshit. Every time he fucks up, he goes on an exotic vacation. So I wish that my dad would have given me a Puerto Rican excursion every time I failed out of class.
1: If only. Uh, but apparently that excursion wasn't exciting enough because uh, Elrond bugged off and went off with a surveyor to try to find gold.
0: Oh, of course.
1: Spoiler alert, they didn't find a lot of gold.
0: Pretty sure he found a shit ton of gold. It was a mountain of gold. A mountain of just... gold,
1: but for some reason... But he's... he
0: couldn't take it. He couldn't take it.
1: Oh. The government
0: seized it. He didn't get any credit for the found- for finding it either. <sighs> Don't look it up.
1: So typical of his life and the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, so he returned from Puerto Rico in February of 1933 and struck up a relationship with a fellow glider pilot named Margaret Polly Grubb, which is the worst last name I've ever heard. But Grubbard would be a good combined last name.
0: Ooh, Grubbard. It's kind of weird, though.
1: It was the 1930s, though, so women and don't get to combine names. Welcome to the Grubbard's house. <laughs> um, so he and Polly got married on April 13th. Uh, how many months is that after they started dating Tyler?
0: They started dating in, in what month? In I'm February? sorry. I did, in f- I'm hold on. <laughs> February to April, that might be a record. That might be the record. I think Hubbard fastest. might have set the record.
1: 2 months? I think he just uh, you know, beat out uh Frank Herbert. I think he was our previous record.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. Um and that's insane. But you know what? That's Hubbard. That's Hubbard. Hubbard.
1: (laughs) So uh, their family did object, but uh, Elrond gets to do whatever he wants. So they finally were like, "Ah, okay, you crazy kids, get married. And then... (laughs) All
0: right, kids.
1: Turns out, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, Polly was pregnant already. So might have been a little bit of the motivation for the wedding. Um, (laughs) She miscarried the first time, but then they got pregnant again. And in May of 1934, she gave birth to a son who they named... (gasps) L. Ron Hubbard Jr.
0: Good lord.
1: His nickname was Nibs.
0: Why? Why was he (gasps) Nibs? There was was a story in there. They talked about how he, like, I don't know, he made, like, noises or something in his grandpa. He was premature.
1: So maybe it has to do with, like, him being a little nib of a...
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was something to where, like, they built... Like, they built... He was, like, two months premature, right? So they built built this, like, this cardboard incubator in the closet with a heat lamp and that's where he lived for like two months
1: which growing is into it. actually possibly <sighs> one of the coolest things that l ron hubbard actually did
0: uh yeah keeping his child alive sure yeah let's give him credit for not murdering a baby
1: well you know he was smart he failed all of those classes but he figured out how to make like a little heat lamp setup
0: uh where's where's miss grubbs uh Credit on that one, huh? She could have come up with that.
1: She... Uh, uh, I I don't even know where to begin. Feminism,
0: Hannah. Femin- I can't believe that I'm the feminist yeah, here.
1: Yeah, she, she just had a baby. It was premature. This is the 1930s, so I'm sure childbirth sucked more back then.
0: Yeah, it always sucks more.
1: Yeah, things suck more in the 1930s.
0: Sorry, I'm not going to give Elron Hubbard any leeway <laughs> on this one until I see proof that he came up with the incubator. It's a lie. Well, Everything that comes out I'm of his mouth is a sure lie. I'm sure the
1: incubator existed before. He managed to put one together that kept a baby human alive. Not sure. just a or, chick.
0: <laughs> or Margaret did.
1: Or Margaret did. Maybe she did.
0: Between the two of them, I'm going to give it to Margaret. <laughs>
1: She seems more uh, trustworthy.
0: She goes by Polly, by the way. Do you yes. know why
1: she goes by Polly? Because Margaret's kind of a lame name.
0: Uh, Margaret's badass. Sounds like margarine. Huh?
1: Ew. Yeah, what woman wants to be named margarine?
0: She makes everything taste better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just gloss right over that. Uh then... Feminism! <laughs> They did have a second child, Catherine May, who was born in January 1936, so uh, a little less than two years later. Um, And then this was kind of when his writing career took off, at least in terms of volume. Uh, He was earning very little per story. And a quote that I saw that uh, I thought was a an interesting one uh to include this is here. like
0: the this is like the quote this is the from quote. l ron hubbard
1: you don't get rich writing science fiction if you want to get rich you start a religion yeah which is both uh prophetic and it rhymes so i like it yeah um so be- it
0: sounds like a jingle to like it sounds like a jingle to something you don't get rich by writing <laughs> science fiction you only get rich by starting a religion Call two eight three six seven eight religion.
1: <laughs> I think the Scientologists would love to have you join their cause, Tyler. I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna record a couple versions of that, send that over to them. Perfect. Right? I think then, they've
1: got a, a big budget. They could give you some yeah. some nice.
0: Hell yeah, they got that Tom Cruise money.
1: That Tom Cruise money. <laughs> that uh, Danny Masterson money. Is he the one who's is in he, court right now? Is,
0: is he? I don't know. I know him and John Travolta. That's I know Cruz and John Travolta. That's it.
1: Ah, that John Travolta money, too. Yeah.
0: And then there's uh, Liam, uh, not Liam, Leah Re- 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 Remy Rhymes. She's the one that's like been battling them for years.
1: Been battling against the Scientologists?
0: Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, well. I'm looking it up because she deserves to have someone say her name in public because she's a good person. <laughs> uh leah leah ramini
1: ramini she's I've... the
0: one from she's the one from king of queens the wife from king of queens Never watched. she has that a whole show. show it's a it's a tv show called uh scientology in the aftermath
1: oh okay
0: it's a good show
1: i'll have to watch that before the uh next episode <clears throat>
0: You absolutely should, because in the next episode, I'm going to be very mean, and I need you to understand why.
1: (laughs) I never understand why. Meanness has no place in my life. Bullshit!
0: (laughs) 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 Says the Christian.
1: Once again, I'm going to gloss right over that. Um, So, yeah, so because... Elrond had to write so much to make money. Uh, that's part of the reason he has the Guinness World Record for most published author. Uh, he wrote across genres and under several pseudonyms. Legend has it he wrote as many as 100,000 words a month, but he is a chronic liar, so who knows? Yeah. Um, and it was like while he was getting in, in with the like author crowd that... I think that's when someone called him out on his his lying um, about what he had done, because there was some story about how he was like talking to this dude at one of their little gatherings and everybody like embellished a little bit. So Elrond was just like reciting all the different things he'd done and how long he'd been in each place. And this dude who he was talking to looks at him and he's like, dude, you've got to be 86 years old then. And he's like, what? And he's like, well. And he did the math. He was like, he spent five years here and seven years here. How are you not 86? And uh, L. Ron got really pissed off. Cause he was like,
0: like legit, not like, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving. This as BS or like, Oh, whatever, man. Like he was pissed.
1: Like it like offended him to his core. Cause I think the biographer that wrote uh, the book that we're reading, I think he thinks that Hubbard actually believed his lies. To an extent, yeah, like that's the
0: way he presents it, for sure. Yeah.
1: So, like, not only was he mad that he got called out, like he he felt like he was being lied about. In turn, he was like, "No, this all really happened." Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's a precursor to more issues like that. Um yeah. And then yeah, so he was published by John Campbell, who will will remember is the editor of Astounding Science Fiction, uh, and ran yep. in the same circles as authors like Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov. Uh, Asimov would have been later on the scene because uh, this is still the 30s, but yeah, so very, very small crowd. <clears throat> uh,
0: yeah, Asimov started, got into writing with uh, Campbell late 30s, correct? Like 39? I
1: think so. I, Campbell was the one who like really inspired asimov but he wasn't the first one to publish him so i'm not sure no
0: he he took he took asimov in and had the conversation with him and was like dude you're you're this is great and here's some great ideas this is what i think about everything and he went on and on and on for like four hours with asimov then uh read asimov's draft and then emailed or not emailed (laughs) (laughs) mailed mailed the rejection the next day but with very helpful notes. Like that's what everybody says is that he always had extremely helpful notes when he would reject you. He was Um, a standup guy. That's, that's cool because I can tell you firsthand, like I've written um, books that I've tried to get that I've queried out, that I've tried to get people to look at agents and publishers. And all I got was silence. And I, I knew that I was bad at writing, but I didn't know why I was bad at writing. I didn't know what I could do better. And you need someone to come alongside you to tell you how to do better, not just hey, this isn't good enough. Because everybody tries to be nice about it too. They're like, well, it's like it's good. It's just you know, it's just not what we're looking for right now. And it's like, great. Then what are you looking for? Like good work? Because I'd want to do that. Just tell me how. And and so like having somebody like Campbell is seriously incredible. And and he's gone down in history as this guy that. Ha- went out of his way to cultivate good writing.
1: We need to do a Campbell episode eventually.
0: I think. I mean, honestly, we're kind of doing Campbell um, through Asimov, and we're going to see even more of him through Hubbard. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess we could, but I think there won't be much that we won't be covering on these two episodes. I
1: think we always think that, and then there's so much more, though.
0: Yeah, there's probably more. He's probably a sex pervert. Magic guy. Oh, who...
1: don't ruin Campbell for me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, in 1941, uh, Hubbard gets a second shot at the uh, Navy because there's another World War going on now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He joined the Navy Reserve in 41, um, and I guess his like congressman recommended that he may- be made a lieutenant when he joined. Like, sure. He didn't earn it, but whatever. He's Lieutenant Hubbard. Yeah, let's do that. Why not? Um, So, you know, if you read the. the
0: This guy has lied to me enough (laughs) to where I believe things that he says. And I'm not going to fact check him him because why would he lie to me? I
1: mean, that is important to note, though, because part of the reason he got so mad at that one dude who called him out for, you know, you would be 86 years old if all of this was true, was because nobody ever questioned him. Right. Like there were newspaper articles written about him at various stages of his life where they just like said that he made all these discoveries on that trip in the Caribbean and they didn't check it. I mean, as far back as when he was a kid, they said like he was the youngest Eagle Scout ever or something. And that just people just. Yeah. It just kept getting reprinted. So
0: reprinted. Yeah. People would write about this. People would still into these into the 40s. People would talk. Yeah. This dude was the youngest Eagle Scout ever. It's like, really? Where are you getting these facts? I I I think today in today's like it's so crazy the idea that somebody wouldn't fact check something, right? But then you look at the at the arguments that people have online and what's going on and it's like nobody does. Nobody fact checks anything. They listen to what sounds good and then they inter they take that in. And use that for whatever argument they want or however they can make themselves feel better.
1: And I mean, as a journalist, I will be the first to criticize us. We are so lazy because you have these stories all the time that like get debunked later on or like there's a lot of studies that are put out. Like, I don't know if you uh, ever heard about the one with like um, the one that led to all the plastic straw bans all over the study that, like, said something about a million plastic straws are thrown away every day or whatever was based on, like, a survey that a 12-year-old did of his two local, like, waste facilities. What? Yeah. So eventually somebody, (laughs) like, looked into that, and they were like, hey, maybe this study isn't, like, the most rigorous or whatever. And it was, like, briefly debunked or whatever you want to say. But then within, like, two news cycles, it was back to being quoted all the time. So, like... Once something gets printed, even in the era of Google, like it's so hard to get rid of it.
0: Yeah, so that's insane, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, uh, people are just so willing to go along with things, and and I think Hubbard figured that out really fast. I think he figured it out young, mm-hmm. and you see this throughout his entire life. He uses this as a as a ploy to get a little bit further. Get a little bit more something, whatever he wants, whether it's money or sex or a position somewhere or to sell something. And he knows how to fuck like, well, he knows how to fuck. He knows how to fucking work people.
1: Yeah, he he does. So uh, going back to the military, Scientologists herald him as a highly decorated war hero, like you said, shot in the leg, saved a man's life, all of that (laughs) stuff. Uh, In reality, he never left the U.S. and he actually lost command of his ship after several uh, bad incidents. One uh, was having his crew fire at what he thought was a submarine off the coast of Oregon. Uh, The Navy investigated.
0: Hannah, come on. This is a big story. You can't just graze over the story. This is huge. So, Like, this is to me, this is a a defining moment in his life. He He has clawed and fought so that he can become commanding officer of a sub of a ship of a of a ship that's gonna fight um, submarines off the off the west coast, right? And the dude, the the dude gets so full of himself that he starts looking for things to shoot at, and 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 he sees bubbles, and he's like, oh, there's a ship down there. I think there's a Japanese ship down there. And then they, they're looking. They're like, look, a periscope. Shoot it. And they just start shooting at nothing. They call in reinforcements. There's like three boats out there. And they spend three days. Three days. There's three ships for three days checking out this one spot off the coast of Portland. When they could have, I don't know, uh, I don't know, doing their job and actually coast guarding the place. But no, they're all looking down. And they're like, actually, I think I saw two ships. And the first one we shot and it went down. Now it can't surface. And the other one we shot, but it can't actually go back to Japan. So we just need to stay here and keep dropping some depth charges because I'm in charge and I know what I'm doing. I have extensive experience being a, a a Jap hunter and a killer of of these evil people. And he goes off on that shit. Oh yeah, and it's he insane. used a lot of
1: racist terms.
0: He was yeah, he's insane. And and all the power finally caught up to him, and it and it, it turned into guess what? Nothing, literally nothing. But when they it got back into-
1: to base, they like wrote a big press release about it and stuff. Like they were so proud yeah. of what they did. And then the Navy investigates and they're like, yo, those suspicious bubbles, uh, they were probably from this known magnetic deposit in the area. You dumbasses.
0: Yeah, big dumbass. And then, so then he's like, so then he's like kind of in trouble, but he's still for some reason in charge of this ship, right? Which is insane to me that he, he wasted resources and time, manpower all this stuff he put people in danger for zero reason then they go and and they 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 uh ship they sail they sail not ship they sail <laughs> down to uh mexico cross into mexico border which is off like hey america you can't just go into mexico's water you're not gonna tell America start, that <laughs> and then they start shooting things Whatever they want to do. Yeah. They just start shooting shit. They thought shit. it was
1: like an uninhabited area or something. So they're like, we're going to do target practice or something.
0: Yeah. And and when they pull him in, they're like, hey, bro, why did you go to another country and start shooting things? He's like, well, I needed my men to practice uh, p- to be better at shooting things. And, uh, you know, and pff, it's Mexico. Do we really need to ask for permission from Mexico? And they're like, hey, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're not allowed to be in charge anymore. Like, not only are you not allowed to be in charge, but now we're going to put you underneath people with a specific note in your file that says you need to be under supervision because you're an insane person.
1: I think that decision should have been made a lot earlier.
0: But he lied, and he always lies, and he knows how to work people, and people understand, like, oh, yeah, your eyes hurt. That's why you always wear sunglasses, and, oh, you hurt your legs, and, oh, that's that's why you limp around.
1: Yeah, he's a chronic malingerer. Uh, I hate him. So, yeah, so they put him on, like, inactive duty. He was, like, writing press releases and stuff, because they were like, well, you're a writer. You should write <laughs> things for us. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which... Sure, he's a writer, but he's also a liar. So maybe that wasn't the best idea. Um, and in 1950, he like officially resigned, but not before he complained of a myriad of health problems so he could apply for VA disability benefits. So like, yep, some of them doctors were like, oh, yes, he actually does have a thing. And other ones, they were like chronic undiagnosed pain or something like that. Like they couldn't find shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think he's one of those guys who knows how to take a truth and really stretch it out.
1: Yep. Everything hurt, and it hurt real bad.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He could have had an ulcer because he was stressed out. Because um, I don't know he's lying to everybody about everything. That can cause stress. That can cause a bodily reaction to happen, which is an ulcer. And then he takes that, and he's like, oh, I got an ulcer because of... Because I've been at war. It's like, you weren't at war, dude. You shot a fish.
1: (laughs) So do you think the stress was actually from him, like, being nervous about lying? Because I feel like he was such a chronic liar that he didn't even think twice about it.
0: I think that lying... I think that lying has a a physical reaction on your body. And even if you're a chronic liar, I think it's still there. Uh, Unless you're... I mean... This is me, right? I'm, I'm Tyler Claus. I'm Ty Ty, the Bible guy, right? I don't, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but I think that people who lie, at least for me, when I lie, I have like my body tenses up, and I, I feel bad, and my stomach gets all gross. And I think that if you're lying all the time, and you know you're lying all the time, and you're making things up because you, you got to look good, that stress builds. And and it continues on, and you just feel shittier and shittier. And I think that he did have um, physiological reactions to his psychosis, to the fact that he is a um, he is a psychopath, like like legit he is. Um, and it it's it's unnerving how far he got <laughs> in life with this debilitating inability to tell the truth
1: (laughs) I will agree with you on that point uh, but I still think you're being a little bit too generous by assuming that his body felt bad about all of the lying I don't
0: I don't think all of his body I think he made up most of it I think that he took one ailment and made it worse than what he was actually feeling and then he just tacked on more like like right now I like I rolled my my ankle at work right so I can go, Oh, my ankle hurts so bad. And also like the rest of my leg, because, you know, there's so much stress on it now. And I mean, my, and my stomach hurts because, you know, like I'm taking more ibuprofen and, and so it's just not, fe- I'm not feeling good. And, you know, and then I got, I got these back aches cause I'm not sleeping well. And so my back hurts. And, you know, because I'm because I'm not breathing right because my back is wrong. I got a headache and, and you know, it's just, I've, you know, I'm just not feeling good. Wow. It's you like,
1: are dude, alarmingly
0: good at that. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm so angry at this guy, because <laughs> I used to be a really good liar. I mean, I still am. But like, I loved to lie. I lied all the time. I had divorced parents. So all I did was lie to them so that I could get the best things out of them. It's it's called manipulation and it works. And it's why I don't like this guy because I know what he's doing.
1: It's called manipulation, and it works. Quote of the day: <laughs> <laughs> Don't try this at home, kids. Um. So yeah. So our our chronic liar, Elron, he gets out of the Navy, and uh, what do you think the first thing he he does is? Do you think he goes and sees his wife and two kids?
0: Oh hell yeah. Of course, he's a devoted husband and he loves and he loves his wife. He's never slept with anybody else. And uh, and so he's obviously going to go immediately home to be with her.
1: Okay, spoiler alert. No, he doesn't. But also that reminded me that I forgot. (laughs) So he was like uh, cheating on her early on ish in their marriage or something. Uh, And she like. This was my favorite thing ever. It almost rivals that time uh, when, oh God, I don't even remember what author it was, but they were like in the military and one of the dudes got the Dear John letter and they uh, sent all of the pictures from all of the guys in their troop to his girlfriend and we're like oh i don't remember which one you are can you take your picture out of this pile and send the rest back what author was that was,
0: that? that was hemingway Hem- right that was hemingway right Was it
1: Hemingway? oh god i it's killing me that Frank, i can't dude. remember which author that was but this i think this one beats it because uh so polly found two letters in uh the mailbox that were addressed to other women and she opened them up and they were like love letters from her husband to other women so she yeah. swapped the letters and mailed them each to the opposite woman and then mm-hmm. her husband found out and he was pissed. Yeah. Not like remorseful, Great. pissed.
0: <laughs> pissed. Why would you mess with my affairs like that?
1: Yeah. So he was already a known cheater by this time. Uh and yeah, instead of going back to his wife and kids, he drove south to I can't remember what city in California, but somewhere in southern California. Yeah, uh, and joined rocket scientist Jack Parsons at his mansion. Yeah. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because we briefly talked about him in the Aleister Crowley uh, episode. Jack Parsons had a, a mansion full of Ordo Templi Orientis followers, which was one of Crowley's religions, occult, <laughs> one,
0: black one magic, Crowley's. sex magic. <laughs> Sex magic. It was sex magic.
1: Um, so Hubbard became close friends with Parsons, uh, and so close that he started sleeping with Parsons' girlfriend because Parsons was a weirdo, and he was like, you know what? Being jealous of of stuff like that is just like a base emotion that's unworthy of my time. So I'm not gonna be jealous that my girlfriend's sleeping with this other dude. It's it's so, oh
0: man, Hannah. You're you're jumping into these stories, and you give these like overarching like here's the big picture but they so so what intricate. happened to
1: jack parsons <laughs> it's
0: so intricate like jack parsons isn't is it is an integral part of hubbard's story like jack parsons isn't going to get an episode because he didn't write any any books or anything so like this is where we're going to tell his story is with hubbard and um jack parsons starts he, he inherits this house and he starts this uh this cult he doesn't start the cult. He, he inherits the cult from Aleister Crowley because he loves the writing of of Aleister Crowley. Um, he firmly believes in black magic. He firmly believes in um, in Thelima. sex magic and all that. And so he so he opens this house to a bunch of different people, different characters, different, you know, like there's mediums and there's there's magicians and there's all kinds of weird people that live in this home that that, and they rent out from him. It's the only way that he can afford mortgages to to, is to rent it out. But he's specific about who he rents it out to only the craziest, weirdest people. One of those people is Sarah. Right. And uh, Sarah doesn't even show much affection towards Jack when she moves in she's actually interested in other people but he starts to fall in love with her and develop this relationship with her and then eventually the guy that she actually likes dies right like he died of something or did he just move out i can't remember now i
1: thought he just moved out
0: he could have just moved out i might just be being super dramatic but he's no longer in the picture he's
1: dead to her
0: He's dead to Jack, uh, and so there's a short period where Jack starts to, you know, kind of make some headway with Sarah, and uh, pardon my h- pun on that. And so Ew. then... Uh,
1: <laughs> I didn't even get it until you said that, and I'm not happy now.
0: Yeah, and he he's kind of starting to be happy, and then he, he invites... Elron Ron Hubbard over, and he's like, bro, this is, this is the deal. We do sex magic here. Everyone sleeps with everyone. We're all happy. There's no such thing as jealousy because jealousy is a material emotion, and we're getting rid of all emotions because only true emotion uh, can sustain, and true emotion is survival. And Hubbard is all about survival stuff, people. He loves that shit. He wrote a whole essay about it when he was younger. He loves that. So he's all in. And who's... Who is the lucky darling that gets to catch the eye of Elron Hubbard? Sarah, Sarah and Hubbard, just like immediately they are smashing. They are going to town on each other, dude. Like, like everywhere in the house, they are like. There's just there's just buckets of cum Ew. everywhere because. <laughs>
1: Why? <laughs> uh, I
0: I had to say that one for Gage because Gage are patron uh he loves that phrase Ew. from another show uh, <laughs> anyway so they're they're going at it and and jack is jealous and he writes to alistair about this and alistair's like dude you got to get over it because that's not a real emotion and it's not healthy and he's like all right you're absolutely right it's totally fine that this guy is fucking my girlfriend and the, the love of my life and Uh, And then on top of that, he re because Hubbard is like, bro, I can do so many things. I've been, you know, I'm a director. I'm a writer. I'm a Navy guy. I've shot down the Japanese submarines. I've, you know, I, I've done all this. Yeah. Hell yeah. I can do magic, bro. Hell yeah. I can do magic. Are you kidding me right now? Yes. What's the card behind my back? Ace of spades. You're right. I just did magic, bitch. Like, All kinds of stuff and Jack is eating it up he loves it and and he wants to believe it so he does and he's naive as shit and that's the problem that's the fucking problem with everyone in in the story of L Ron Hubbard these people are naive they they want to believe that he is something greater so they let him be something greater and he decides L Ron is a great magician he is he is a powerful spirit entity in this world. And so he deserves to be with Sarah. And so what happens? Sarah and Hubbard, they go, they go get married. They go over to the East Coast and they they tie the knot. Despite the fact that Hubbard's still married to another woman. Not a problem. No. It's fine.
1: Bigamy is A-OK.
0: What happens to Jack Parsons, Hannah?
1: Oh, well, I just, uh, you know, he lives happily ever after, right? Finds a a new woman and everything's a okay.
0: Settles down. Yeah, he gets out of the sex magic game.
1: So they have this, like, side little business venture where uh, Hubbard and and Sarah were going to go buy yachts and then sail them to the West Coast and sell them at a profit and all that. Um, It didn't work out, and Parsons tried to get his money back, but... uh, they they gave him like a tiny fraction of it. He yeah. had to sell the mansion to pay back the the debt. And yeah. uh he he went back to a smaller home and was doing some science experiments in his garage and he like poured the wrong chemical into something and it blew up and he decapitated yep. him and he was mm-hmm. like still twitching in the gory gory garage. Yeah. Uh some people thought it was like he was trying to do magic. Some people thought it was suicide, but it was probably just science gone wrong. And then somebody went and told his mom, who was like living with a disabled friend or something, and she got the news, walked into her living room, sat down in a chair, and then swallowed a bottle of pills. And her friend couldn't move and was sitting across from her watching her die. Yeah. The Parsons' tragic legacy.
0: Well, and and there's, man, there's so much about Jack Parsons. It's such an interesting story, an interesting guy. He's really fucked up in the head, and he's very naive. Um, he's he's a true follower of of magic and all that. He would write to Aleister Crowley. Uh, at one point, he and and Hubbard went into the desert and did some rituals, and summoned uh, an elemental creature. That, uh, when they got back to the house, everything that he had asked for in this elemental creature, a creature of bronze skin and red hair and, you know, golden eyes or whatever, you know, he asked for this creature to show up. And when he got back, a new tenant had just moved in and she was tanned with red hair and like basically everything that he said, he described out in the, in the desert and he believed her to be his, his elemental, um, gift essentially and so well they you can't argue with those results right uh they immediately just start fucking right <laughs> and and then in one at one point hubbard is like watching them and like egging them on and like cheerleading for them to to like produce a baby because like they're trying child,
1: to, right? they're
0: trying to produce the moon child, which is supposed to be the bringer of the end of the world or some shit according to Aleister Crowley. So, like, dude, this this stuff is nuts. <laughs> like, it's insane, dude. Like, I don't even this could be its own friggin' episode of stuff is like,
1: what the hell is happening? And I forgot this was like the last year of Crowley's life, too, that this was all going on. He was like yeah, living in his guy. retirement home often
0: just writing letters yeah left and right to people
1: and one of the letters he wrote he he called jack parsons a weak fool and said that yeah so crowley actually did see through ron a little bit and said ron was tricking him with all of this like yeah yeah
0: because because crowley had the gift of objectiveness of being far away from the situation and going how do you know he's doing all this stuff? He's <laughs> lying, dude.
1: What the fuck is your problem? Whereas if he'd met uh Hubbard in real life, he probably would have fallen for it. I
0: think I think that if he met Hubbard in real life, that dude they would have been like best friends. Yeah, they would have Or at least Hubbard would have used him to gain something cuz you know, they he was rich. He had like a shit ton of money.
1: And followers, which is just <laughs> as important.
0: Yeah. True.
1: So, yeah, the after all of this, after uh, he he gets married, uh Polly learns that her husband is married to another woman, which must have been yep. quite the uh realization. Uh yeah. they they divorced later uh that year, I think it was 1947, and Polly got custody of the kids. And I think this is where I want to mention the relationship issues with his dad. So, Hubbard like his whole life thought his dad was Just like pushing paper and, you know, living the least exciting life possible. He had very little respect for him. Um, But his dad, like he was the one who was taking care of his wife and kids while he was gone. And he saw more of, of the grandkids than Hubbard saw of his own kids. So I think it's just really interesting that like Hubbard really pitied or had a lot of disdain for his dad. And his dad, I think, was finally starting to realize, "Oh, we fucked up raising this kid."
0: Like this person's a psychopath. Yeah, Yeah. he's awful. So his dad, his dad was the dad that stepped up.
1: Yeah, well, his dad just stepped up like twenty years earlier and
0: kicked his
1: kid's ass a couple times.
0: He's the step granddad, the granddad that stepped up.
1: What's that uh, cliche like? uh, If you spoil, or. Nah, don't spoil your kids so you can spoil spare, your grandkids.
0: Spare the rod and spoil. Like, which one are you? I don't, I don't know. What it's you're something
1: about with. how, like, if you spoil your kids, you'll have to raise your grandkids. It's. I'm not saying no. it as well, um, but yeah. His all right. His parents definitely did that thing where you spoil your kids and and you have to raise your grandkids. If you raise your kids, you get to spoil your grandkids. Right. Uh this
0: is some this is some hard hard wisdom from Hannah.
1: I totally stole it from somebody else, so I don't know who originally gonna said that. That's going to be our new
0: segment. Hard That's going to be a whole new segment. Hard wisdom with Hannah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey,
0: if Ty Ty the Bible guy gets to show up, then Hard Wisdom Hannah gets to show up at some point. It's
1: just going to be me doing saying like see that thing over there, don't do that thing.
0: Don't don't be a dumbass.
1: Don't be a dumbass. <laughs> um So he and and Sarah lived in Laguna Beach and he resumed fiction writing uh, to supplement his small disability pension. He wrote to the VA pleading for more money, outlining all of his miseries and even convinced Sarah to pretend that she was like an old family friend who had known him all his life. And she like wrote this fraudulent letter being like, oh, yes, he's been much changed since his time in the military. He has all these ailments. And so then he ended up getting a bigger pension. Uh, right. They moved to Savannah, Georgia in 1948, and this is when he started to make the first mentions of what was to become Dianetics.
0: Dianetics. Dun 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 dun. You have to do that every time you say Every
1: time. Is it like a, a Dianetics TM? Dun 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 dun
0: dun dun. Yep. dun 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 dun. Perfect. Welcome back to Dianetics. dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> And I think that's I think that's a good time to stop. I mean, like we we're about to get into we're about to get into the crazy. Like
1: uh, this was all pretty. Crazy. We've been in the crazy. We have yeah, decapitated we've been in the Jack Parsons in his garage.
0: We got sex magic. We got we got lying. We got fighting fish. We got all <laughs> kinds of shit. That's crazy enough. Um, but it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what's about to come buckets buckets nice callback well done i'm disgusted with myself it's hilarious sometimes we can be funny hannah it's okay sometimes uh (laughs) so only sometimes
1: okay so uh, uh that was your teaser for the next episode
0: yeah we're gonna have so much more guys it's gonna be so exciting as we get into uh the religion that is scientology and its creator.
1: And uh Cam's going to make a, a Dianetics theme song for next dun, time, dun, right? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um
0: Um No, I'm I mean you, Hannah.
1: Oh, I was just going <laughs> to say uh Tyler, where can the people find us if uh they can't wait for for next time to get some more Lewis and Lovecraft?
0: Uh you can find us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com that's where you can send emails to us which is why it's an email address yes. gmail.com Oh, and
1: if I promised you a sticker for the sci-fi flash fiction episode and I haven't given you one yet email me because I, I think I got them to everybody but I'm not 100% sure so
0: yeah I still need to get one to Devani
1: oh my so. god Devani send me your address and I'll just send you a sticker <laughs>
0: I'm going to send you so many stickers. I'm going to send you like a packet. (laughs) They're
1: like shooting through the door. (laughs) They're just
0: going to come in through the door. Yeah. Um, Email us at lewisonlovecraft at gmail.com. You can, you can email us uh, ideas that you have for stories. You can email us your experiences with authors that we've talked about, or even uh, stories that you're writing. We want to read more stories from our listeners we want to encourage writers write flash fiction write short stories send it in we will read it and if it doesn't give me the willies to read it on live air I might read it on live air Um, and if not I'll just make Hannah read it. Here's looking at you, um, Alyssa. You, <laughs> uh, you can uh, go to facebook.com/slash Lewis and Lovecraft and hang out with us there on the Facebook. Um, you can go to our website, LewisandLovecraft.com, and uh, that'll take you to a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm hoping at some point, as Hannah and I start to do other stuff outside of the podcast, that I can send links to that, um, so you can find our other works, as well as at Lewis and Lovecraft. At uh on, on on, good lord, Tyler. It's that time of night. At Lewis and Love, yeah. At Lewis and Lovecraft on Instagram is where you can see new posts that we post and news and stuff like that. That's where we're most active.
1: And as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at SoundCloud.com/slash Jake Basson. That's B is in boy, A S S E N. He does all sorts of stuff, all sorts of genres. So uh, definitely give him a listen.
0: I actually just watched a YouTube video the other day. I watched the whole thing. It was It's like 25 minutes long, and uh, it's from like seven years ago, almost exactly seven years ago, when myself, Jake Basson, and my brother Cameron, our editor, uh, and our st- stepsister at the time, Sedona, the four of us were in a band, Melino Road and we played a concert down at OSU. And it was like a festival, like we got, like it was a big deal. And I'll tell you what, watching Jake Basson play music live, it was so awesome to watch him again. He's so good, he's so talented, it's insane. And I wasn't too bad either, but you know, that's not the point.
1: I think I just had a moment because I was in the same grade as Jake. Uh, So I knew about Milano Road and I think I watched some of his videos but I didn't know you back then. So I've probably yeah. heard you play in the band with him.
0: Probably. It was pretty, uh, we were pretty great. We owned this area. We were we were the band. <laughs> so um, you make sure you guys subscribe to our show if you want to check out other cool stuff that, that we have, like we do our correspondence show and then obviously our deep dives. And sometimes we do other rando things. Make sure you subscribe so you can check those out.
1: And rate and review us on iTunes and Podchaser if you can. We really love new reviews, so please do We that.
0: love new reviews. It makes us feel good. We don't get enough of them, and they, they help us grow. So go on to Podchaser iTunes and do that. Stat. And Hannah, what's the, what's the best thing? What's the thing that makes us feel like we've told a lie that allows us to sleep with other people's wives?
1: I don't want to feel that way, but if I did, <laughs> I would say, tell all your side hoes about yeah. our show.
0: Whoever it is that you're sleeping with right now, tell them about our show. Write
1: them a letter, send them a sticker, hope your wife doesn't find it in the mailbox. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Spread the word whoever- like a
1: venereal disease.
0: Whatever whatever guests are hanging out in the house that you're fucking in, tell them about it, too. Tell a friend. That helps spread us around like a hot, infected lady.
1: <laughs> On that disgusting note.
0: We'll see you later, ghoul gang. Bye. Have a good summer. What? Or time. I don't know. Have a good summer. Is this a yearbook? (laughs) You rock.
1: See you next year. (laughs) See you next year.